Do you ever struggle with your fuzzy brain? I do. Welcome to the Uncluttered Office Podcast. Here I share what I've discovered from my challenges with ADHD and chemo brain. I'm your host, Katherine Avery. I'm a former Wall Streeter, now certified productive environment specialist and ADHD productivity coach with well over 20 years of experience in business, office design, and productivity. I'm a badass cancer survivor and thriver, wife, mom of a teen and a cat, and a lifelong geek. I'm old enough now to be proud of it. I've learned that whether we lose our keys, misplace our files, or constantly forget our appointments, we can design a work and home life that is simpler, easier, and fits who we are with our unique brains. I believe that to be truly productive, we need to learn how to be intentionally unproductive. A strange twist for a productivity coach. But hey, I love to ski, sail, and surf. Listen in and learn how to streamline your space and systems so you can be more focused, organized, and have more time to be intentionally unproductive. Hi, everyone. Catherine Avery of ProductivityByDesign.com and your host of the Uncluttered Office podcast. Today, I have a very special guest with me, Kieran Deal. She is a holistic nutritionist and the CEO of Key to Health Nutrition Consulting. She helps women and children leverage the power of plant-based nutrition to get to the root of unwanted symptoms so they can truly thrive. Kieran is also a mom, vegan, and children's nutrition advocate. Her passion for helping others achieve optimal health comes from her own journey in overcoming her daughter's health challenges as well as her own. Welcome. Thank you, Catherine. I'm so happy to be here with you today. I'm so psyched you're here. And of course, I'm going to start somewhere completely different because that's how I roll. Plant-based nutrition. One of the most interesting things I'm finding about plant-based nutrition is it doesn't mean you have to give up meat. Now, I I know you're vegan, so I don't want to tread on toes, but I found it very interesting. I am trying to move towards, I'm trying to move the family towards a more plant-based eating habit. So a lot less beef. More plants, <laughs> more plants, little fish, little chicken, more fish really than anything else. And I'm feeling better. So I'd love, if you don't mind, let's start with plant-based nutrition. What is that yeah. really? <laughs> so plant-based nutrition is kind of what it, what the name implies. So it's mostly plants. And as you said, it doesn't have to be all plants. So it's not the same thing as vegan. So plant-based is a diet. Vegan is an entire lifestyle. So a lot of people confuse the two, but they are similar, but different. So with plant-based, it could be someone who completely cuts out all animal products. It could be someone who does still include some or just few animal products. But if they do, it's not the meat, the meal is not centered around the animal products. So it's not, you know, your main, the main component of your meal is not meat. And then you just have a few sides. It's actually your main component is something else, it's plants. And then, you know, the animal products are more of a side, a side dish or just a small portion of it. And so it's really taking off just because of all the research backing it up, especially with long-term studies. A lot of the data that we see for, you know, long-term studies when they look at nutrition and diet and health outcomes, it really favors a plant-based lifestyle and really limiting animal products. And there's a lot of fads going on right now with keto and paleo and all of these, but in terms of the long-term studies, we do know that plant-based is, you know, it's backed by evidence if you're really looking at those long-term health outcomes. And as a people, 
way, you know, way back, we as a people didn't eat as much meat. Meat was a special treat. I mean, I remember I was walking the Inca Trail, hiking the Inca Trail and meeting families. And we were told like the little guinea pigs, I think they were running around the house, the guinea pig, they're very, very small. You know, they call them cooey, that that would be a meat source or that, you know, on a holiday, you would have a chicken. So the primary food source, and, and these are folks who are farming, so they're working outside, et cetera. So don't kid yourself if you're listening. You can get plenty enough energy from legumes, lentils, definitely vegetables that will give you enough energy. I mean, if, if people can farm, we can sit at our desks, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I always find that so interesting. I've really increased our intake of lentils and other kinds of beans. Partly as a substitute, but partly because they just taste really good. They do. A lot of people are apprehensive about trying things like lentils and beans because it's just not a staple in their diet. And, you know, something like lentils just sounds so foreign to a lot of people in the West. And, you know, they just, it's so daunting just to even think about how do I, how do you cook lentils? And, you know, I always say, just start with one, start with one recipe. If you don't like it, try another one, you know, don't be discouraged because so many people will, you know, try one and then they'll say, oh, I didn't like that. So this is just not for me. Well, no, you know, if you tried it, say as a pasta sauce and you didn't like it that way, try it in, you know, a stir fry, try it in something else until you find a way that you enjoy it. Same thing with when you eat meat, right? You know, there's people who like certain flavors and they don't like other flavors or they prefer certain textures. It's the same thing. You've just got to find the flavor and texture that works for you. So don't be me who decided to make a Thai red curry fish dish on noodles, where I was trying a brand new dish in a brand new style with a fish we had never eaten before, which was Pollock, which I think would have been much better for our first time, like maybe cooked with some olive oil and some capers and a sort of more traditional way of we would cook fish. So I really, if you're trying something new, don't try new two new things, try you know, the new food and an old dish you used to have, or try a new dish with an old food you used to have, because doing both, my husband's like, well, I think it tastes delicious. And I'm like, well, you know better than to complain about my cooking. But at the same time, I was like, yeah, it just wasn't, I didn't love the dish. And it's, and where that cookbook came from, you know, the dish, the recipe came from, I love everything in that cookbook. So I know that's me. Yes. Everyone has their own personal preferences. Everyone has their own, you know, favorites and foods that or food aversions, things that they don't like. You know, some of that is genetic. Some of that is just, you know, your past childhood experiences. But, you know, again, I, I love that you said that because that's super important too. If you do too much all at once, you're more likely to fail. <laughs> if you kind of do it in baby steps, like you said, you know, instead of, you know, I'll give a lentil bolognese as an example, instead of making it with mm. beef, you can make it with lentils. And it tastes delicious. And you're really only replacing that one ingredient and everything else can be the same. So it's much easier to go about it that way. And it's really setting yourself up for success versus if you try something completely foreign, like say a, you know, say if you've never had tofu before and you try a tofu dish in something completely different that you've never even thought about having, you're less likely to enjoy it versus if you just added that tofu to something you would normally eat. Right. It's a good plan, especially with kids. Yes. They, they know they're really yes. smart. 
I would love to talk about sort of how how I came to caring about my diet, which I know is going to streamline nicely with a lot of what you're going to say. So the first thing to say is that I had really bad brain fog after chemo in 2015, 2016 was when I was going through treatments. And I realized that how I ate helped focus, helped cut through the brain fog. And I think you've had your own experience with brain fog. Yes, I have. Um, So with me, uh, it's very different from your story because you actually sort of understood and were aware that you had brain fog. With me, it was the opposite. I had brain fog for so long. I'm thinking it started somewhere in my teens. And I had it for so long that I just thought that was normal. I had no idea that it actually wasn't normal to go about functioning and go about your day with this brain fog. I just thought this is how everybody feels. And so it wasn't until uh, my daughter was born and she had some gut issues. She had GERD, acid reflux. She had some other things going on. And so in trying to heal her issues, I started to eat like her because it was just easier rather than eating two separate meals. Yes. And then when I started to eat that way, I noticed some of my own problems going away. And I just noticed, especially that mental clarity. Wow. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, I can't believe I've had this brain fog for all this time. And I didn't even know. I didn't know that that's not how I was supposed to be feeling. And there's so many people out there that go through life like that thinking this is just normal. They have no idea that that's actually not how they're supposed to be functioning. Right. And I had undiagnosed ADHD. I wasn't diagnosed until this past year. However, I kind of sensed and guessed because when I had the brain fog, it was so over the top that I said, there's got to be something going on. And also at the same time, I was dealing with chemical depression. So I had sort of three things happening and was a little crazy, but eating, exercising, there are things we can do naturally to help heal ourselves, or at least to minimize the symptoms of what we're going through. Yes, definitely. And it's super important for people to understand that, that, you know, what we eat and, you know, how we're moving, how we're going about our day or lifestyle is super important. That's why what I do, I'm actually a holistic nutritionist. So I don't look at just diet. I actually look at lifestyle as well, because it all comes together. Um, We really need to look at ourselves from a holistic point of view to make sure we can function at our best. And, you know, with kids as well, I work with kids and it's the same thing. We need to look at their lifestyle. You know, we don't usually think of lifestyle when we think of kids because, you know, we don't lifestyle, we could sort of just associate that with adults, right? We don't think, oh, that child has a poor life lifestyle. <laughs> you know, it's not something we think of, but, you know, it, it applies to kids as well, especially in today's world where we have all of these stressors and it's affecting our kids as well. It's just a different day and age. You know, we didn't grow up with social media with TV and Netflix at our fingertips. We didn't grow up. You know, I remember as a child spending way more time outdoors than children do now. It's just a different lifestyle, a different way of living. And so we need to be mindful of that as well. And, um, you know, our diets, our nutrition, we need to make sure that we're eating so that we can function at our best because it really does affect everything. If you're not eating well, you're not taking care of your physical health it's going to impact your mental health and your cognitive ability and um, you know, really just sort of just dampen everything, dampen your true potential. So, you know, focusing on your nutrition and your lifestyle is really about making sure that you're performing at your, at your best, at the best you could possibly perform at. And so many people never reach that level because they just don't, they don't see the connection. Right. My daughter will often have a piece of cinnamon toast for breakfast. 
And she says, you know, the butter is the part that's, you know, the healthy part. And I look and I'm like, all right, how about you just take this yogurt and a plastic spoon with you on the way to school? That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of protein will go a, a long way. Something <laughs> a little bit that has a little fruit, has a little protein, mm-hmm. has a little more stamina. You know, she yeah. took the um, ACT on Saturday. And she was just, quote, starving after. And I said, I had said before she went, she, you know, she was packing her snacks and she had packed like potato chips and some animal crackers. And, and I'm looking at the bag and I'm thinking, no, <laughs> apple. And I yeah. put in um, a protein bar. And what else did I put in? I put in a thing of, um, we couldn't do nuts. There weren't allowed. So that was kind of made a little tricky. I can't remember the other thing I put in there, but I tried to put a couple things that were, Kind of like brain food, yes. You know that's going to keep you going through a big test, right? And she got home and she then had I don't know like the whole thing of I think chicken and beans or something. I always have healthy foods in the fridge, so it's easy. So you can just grab a snack, yes. And then she really is a definitely a cinnamon toast eater in the morning, and I'm like, oh, please, here's a yogurt. Just take it with you. Make mom feel better. <laughs> yes, and that age is really difficult because that's the age where they really start to, you know, dig in their heels more. It's not like when they're younger where you can say, well, these are your choices. I'm going to put them in front of you and this is what you can eat. At that age, they go to the fridge themselves and take out whatever it is that they want. And it's much harder. But I always say that don't focus on one day, your child's, you know, one or two days of what they ate, focus on the big picture. So, so many parents will say, oh my goodness, our kids are, they ate this today or they didn't eat this today. You know, take a breath, take a pause, take a step back. And look at the bigger picture of what they ate over the week or over the month. You know, that's important to have that perspective. My daughter was always been in the 50th percentile on weight kind of deal. That's not true. When she was a baby, she was like in the 90, 95th. And then as she got and it's like eight, nine, 10, whatever, and was very active doing sports, all these things. She um, was really the 50th percentile. And I remember the doctor just freaking out. And I looked at her, I said, first of all, I am not tiny now, but I was tiny then. And I said... I can promise you she eats enough. So the next time I went into the doctor's office, I made sure to track a week of food, right? And she looked at it and she said, over the course of the week, your kid's eating plenty and it's all healthy food. And I said, yep, I'm not worried. (laughs) I'll let you know if I'm worried, but I really haven't been. I was like that. I was uh, skinny as a rail, very active. And I know my mother gave us healthy food, I remember. So, uh, and there were far fewer awful options. (laughs) <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I knew what the cereal aisle was until I was at least five or six. And, and there's reasons for that. And I didn't let my daughter know. I mean, it was the first sugary cereal that came home, came home with my husband. Was, what are you doing? Get that out of the house. It's usually, I mean, I don't want to, I, you know, nothing I don't against want... my husband, no husband bashing. <laughs> it's usually though, with my experience with clients as well, there are some exceptions where it's the dad who's super healthy you know, conscious and health focused, but generally it's usually the moms because generally just, you know, the way society is, moms are usually more involved in terms of what their kids are eating. And then the dads just kind of bring home the pop and the soda and the chips and the candy. Well, and again, speaking of pop or soda, it wasn't something that was in the house because I don't really drink it. So that was something you got if we went to a restaurant. And, you know, just a special amount of it or juice, I would do half and half with water because I didn't want her to know how, I mean, juice is just loaded with sugar. So it's delicious and it tastes good and everything else. But for me, you know, if I'm going to have some splash, I have some juice. I put a splash 
and that's it. So, but I know I'm a water drinker. I could drink water all day long. I love drinking water. So there's never been a real issue around that for me. Now, you know, she's at school, she's a teenager, she can grab soda and she's going to do what she's going to do, but none of which is really getting us to ADHD. So I'm going to go there now because she has ADHD, I have ADHD, and you work with people who have ADHD. Yeah. Would love for you to talk some about gut health and ADHD if you think the two of them connect. I think you do. Yes. Gut health connects to everything. There is nothing, no issue that we have that does not connect to gut health. And we know that now it's this huge you know, emerging field. Well, not even emerging anymore. It's just this huge field of research now. Uh, you know, we know now that when we're eating, we're not just feeding our own cells and our, our human selves. We're also feeding this vast collection of microbes in our gut. So bacteria, fungi, you know, we've got millions of them, trillions of them down there. And we need to be mindful of that as well, that we're not just feeding ourselves, we're feeding them. And they do um, you know, they can either help us or they can harm us. Right. And so that really depends on how we feed them and whether or not we're feeding the good ones or we're starving the good beneficial microbes and feeding the not so beneficial ones. Right. So I often hear about like these shakes and things people take for gut health. And I would, I've never jumped on that train because I kind of feel like, mm. so how about some natural strategies that are helpful for gut? And I know people are different, but it'd be interesting to hear if there's some sort of universal ones. So the universal one is just increasing fiber and having a diversity of fibers. When I say fiber, I'm not talking about going and getting a Metamucil supplement. You know, we're not talking about that kind of fiber. We're talking about natural fiber in foods. And that's why, you know, I really preach about the plant-based diet because that's where you get the most fiber. You know, you get it from your fruits and veggies, your legumes, your whole grains. We want to make sure we're getting a very diverse range of fiber. So not just one. If you're just eating an apple every day, that's great. You know, it's great that you're having an apple every day, but if that's one of your main sources of fiber and it's the only one and you're not getting that variety, you're not feeding a variety of gut microbes. Mm -hmm. And we know that the key to, you know, optimizing gut health is making sure that we have a variety of microbes and we're feeding and nourishing a variety of those microbes. Because we, you know, with studies now where they actually look at the stool samples of people who haven't really been touched by modern society, they're still living in tribes. You know, when we look at their, you know, the, the composition of microbes in their gut versus a composition of microbes in, you know, our guts here in the, you know, Western industrialized world, there is a huge difference in diversity. They have far more, you know, species and a higher amount of, of different species of microbes in their gut versus us. So we've lost a lot of those. And so a lot of these diseases that we're seeing, you know, it is because we've lost that diversity and we need to make sure that we're nourishing that and trying to bring that back. And the best way to do that is to eat a variety of fiber rich foods. They're all feeding different microbes. So, you know, if you're only eating one type of fiber, if you're only eating rice every day, that's your only grain. Well, there's so many other grains and those grains will have different types of fiber that will feed different microbes. So it's important to get that variety in. So it's not just quantity of fiber. It's also that diversity of fiber. It's interesting you mentioned that because 26 years ago for my 30th birthday, I went over to Peru and was hiking over there. And one of the things that I was fascinated by in the market, and now you have to remember this is 26 years ago. We had what? Three or four kinds of potatoes that you could buy. And you'd stand in the market and they'd have 
50 or 60 or 100 varieties of potatoes in the market. And I remember my eyes just going big on purple potatoes. What's a purple potato? Like, how does that taste? And it does Mm -hmm. taste different. I mean, I love purple potatoes. Now we can get those. And I would say, you know, the supermarket has at any given time between potatoes and sweet potatoes and yams. I know they're all different, but you get the idea. Probably 10 different varieties. That wasn't the case 26 years ago. No. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods market. Your brain needs support and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. It wasn't even these rainbow carrots that we're seeing. I right. had the same experience when I first saw rainbow carrots. I thought, that can't be a carrot. Like, it's purple. It must be something else. I also like those too. And I like the purple and white carrots better than I like orange carrots, which is yeah. fascinating. And food can be so fun. I think the hardest part I found about plant eating is all the chopping. Yes. Sometimes I cheat and I buy (laughs) pre-chopped. And that's okay. I always say whatever works for you, whatever, it doesn't have to be perfect. So it's better to buy it pre-chopped than to not buy it at all. (laughs) Right. Right. So I'll make, um, I'll make a frittata probably at least once a week because it's a quick way to get healthy eating in, right? I'll do it like nine to 10 eggs at a time. Now, before anyone freaks and says, what are you having a five egg omelet frittata thing? No, (laughs) you know, I cut it into six pieces. So each person is getting about an egg and a quarter and maybe egg and a half in each piece. And then I just load it with vegetables. And sometimes we'll have finished dinner. This happened last week. We had um, a mix of asparagus, mushrooms, and onions. And I looked at how much was left and I said, this is dumb. We're never going to eat it like in this little tiny container worth. So I literally took the scissors and just like chopped it all up, threw it in the omelet and, you know, put a little cheese on top, herbs, big fan of herbs. Like, I mean, herbs can make anything taste better. And so, and as much as possible this winter for the first time ever, I did indoor winter herbs, didn't grow them next winter. I'm going to grow them. But this winter, I kept kind of going to the store and getting a thing of fresh herbs and bringing it home and putting that in the food because that makes it taste great. And you can really substitute a lot of that sort of flavor value by using herbs and spices. Yes, definitely. It's all about your own personal preferences. So for example, a lot of people know about the cilantro gene. So some people have a gene where it makes cilantro taste like soap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so for those people, they loathe cilantro and they cannot enjoy anything with cilantro in it, but there's so many other herbs they can enjoy. And so with, you know, I always say it's really individual. You need to find the ones that you love and try to find as many as you can. 
So, you know, just because you don't have the cilantro gene doesn't mean that you should just have cilantro and everything. You know, you still need to get that diversity as well, because everything we eat, that diversity is really what's nourishing this thriving gut microbiome. And that's what's going to help everything, you know, especially our mood and, um, you know, just the way that we're able to function. Right. It has a huge impact. So we know now that it's not, you know, it's not just in terms of macronutrients, it's not just about protein, carbs, right. and fat. There's so One much of the more to it. That I've, that I've switched to is to make fresh ginger tea. So to buy the ginger, peel off some, slice it up, put it in a separate pot and put boiling water in it and have hot ginger yes. tea. And a friend of mine turned me onto that and I just love it. And it's so good for us because ginger is anti-inflammatory. It's a great tea to have. I recommend it to a lot of clients, especially if they've got some gut issues going on. Right. Ginger can be great for that. And you know, that just backtracking a bit, talking about gut health, you know, the importance of that is really because we do have this connection between the microbes in our gut and everything else that's going on in the body. So our gut microbiome, it helps to modulate our immune system. We also know about the gut-brain connection as well. You know, before we thought it was just a one-way street where the brain just tells the body what to do, but now it's it's a two-way connection. And we do know that, you know, the vagus nerve connects the gut and the brain. And we do know that it is actually, while it's a two-way street, it is actually predominantly one way. So most of these signals between the brain and the gut are actually going from the gut to the brain. And so these little critters in our guts are actually controlling a lot of, you know, what goes on in our brain. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's a bit daunting to think about it that way that, okay, our brains, you know, or we are being controlled by these little bugs in our gut, but, you know, it's good because then we know what we can do about it. We know that we can nourish the beneficial ones, the ones that make us feel better, the ones that produce more serotonin and GABA and, you know, these great neurotransmitters and hormones that we need to really function at our best and have, you know, just improved focus, improved mood. And, you know, on top of everything else that they do for us, like our immune system and our hormonal health. Right. So for people of ADHD, we can struggle with the serotonin and the dopamine. What foods do you recommend that would help us with the gut biomes to have a little bit easier of a time of it, maybe? Hopefully. Yes. So definitely increasing your fiber, you know, and I always like to say with people who are not used to having a lot of fiber or a lot of plant foods, low and slow is the way to go. If you think, you know, okay, I don't normally eat fiber. So now I'm going to eat, you know, half a can of beans. You're not going to feel good. (laughs) You're going to feel bloated. And the reason for that is likely you do have diminished numbers of these good you know, gut bugs, these microbes that help us to digest these foods. So they also help with digestion. And so you're not going to feel good. You're going to get that bloating. You're going to get that indigestion. You really want to start small and slowly increase because as you start small and slowly increase, uh, you know, the fiber rich foods that you're eating, you're also slowly increasing the, um, you know, the quantity and the diversity of gut bacteria and gut microbes. And those are going to help you digest it. So you want to make sure you start low and slow. You also want to introduce fermented foods. So fermented foods are great at not just introducing some of these, you know, these species and strains of bacteria and, you know, good yeast into our gut, into our systems. They also nourish the ones that are already there. And what's really interesting is that there are studies now that have shown that some of these fermented foods, they actually already contain things like GABA. 
in the food mm. because the bugs in there, you know, the microbes in there have already started producing them before they even get into your system, before you even eat them. Right. For people who don't know what fermented foods are, I do, but how about what they, a few of them, so people know what they are. Yes. So foods like kimchi, sauerkraut, you know, our yogurt is also fermented food beverages as well. So kombucha, um, water kefir, you can get kefir is sort of like a yogurt. You can get a water kefir, which is, it's sort of like soda actually. So I always recommend that for kids who are addicted to soda and it's really hard to get them away from that. Get them water kefir instead. It's a great substitute and it's going to help their gut health. How interesting. I had no idea about water. I knew about kefir. I'd never heard of water kefir. Yes. I went and got, I went to an Asian market and picked up kimchi. And oh, we love kimchi fried rice for breakfast. So I should say that the right way. Kimchi breakfast fried rice, which, you know, has an egg loaded with veggies, has the rice and the kimchi, which brings all the flavor to it. It's amazing. And sometimes instead of the omelet, I'll make that. So I always have these things floating around the house that are, you know, super healthy. And, you know, obviously, um, with the kimchi fried rice, you have that separate and then you put the egg on top. The other one I love is quinoa. Can't get my family on board. I love quinoa. They are not huge fans. Yeah. Quinoa is a great grain. So it's not a fermented food, but it's this great grain and it's, um, you know, it's, it's, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I just wanted to, I'm I, I stuck on fermented foods. I just got carried I away. I just want to clarify that for anybody. So they don't go out and buy quinoa and think that they're getting a fermented right. food. <laughs> it's great. And it's, it's a different grain. So a lot of people are just so used to just their wheat and their rice, and they don't really eat any other grains, but there's quinoa, there's amaranth, there's sorghum, there's millet. There's so many other types of grains out there. And so a good tip is if you can't get your family on board, start small, that low and slow. So instead of replacing, swapping all of that rice for quinoa, swap a quarter of it. Oh, that's an interesting and mix, idea. And mix it in. And then you slowly, as your family gets used to this new flavor, this new taste, this new texture, you can slowly increase it to half quinoa, half rice, and then you know three quarters. And then before you know it, they'll be eating a meal with just entirely quinoa. And you can do that with all of the different grains. It's just a nice way to, especially with kids. You know, I work with a lot of kids and kids are very difficult <laughs> when it comes to changing their diet. Right. And getting them comfortable with new foods. So I always suggest that just mix it with something that they do like. It doesn't work for everyone. With some kids who are very picky, it's going to have the opposite effect. If you try to mix it, it's going to make them hate that food that they previously loved in the first place. And you don't want to do that either. So it depends on the child. It really depends on preferences. But usually for most people who aren't extremely picky, that does work to go low and slow and slowly mix it in. So interestingly, the child is 55 and I'm married to him. <laughs> He's the one who doesn't like quinoa. My, my daughter's okay with it. She doesn't mind it if it's mixed in with some other things like avocado and spinach and mushroom and whatnot. And then the one that my daughter loves just floored me when she told me this. She loves farro. That's amazing. And I love that your daughter is like, eating farro? this diversity of brains. Yes. Yeah. And you never really know. Fun. You never know because we, you know, we assume because we don't like certain foods that our kids won't, but it's simply not true. You know, kids will, my daughter loves olives and pickles, for example, and I can't stand them. And if we limit our children because we think, oh, well, I don't like that. So they're not going to like that. You know, we're really limiting 
the potential diversity of foods that they could be eating. And we really need to expose them. Exposure is so important. So, you know, like your husband, for example, he likely didn't have a ton of exposure. He likely, what, what we do as parents often is we just stick to what works. So if your kids like their mac and cheese, you know, they like their hot dogs and they like their, maybe they're just rice and beans or something simple. We stick with this limited range of foods because it's easier than trying something different and having to deal with that backlash and, you know, that resistance. But again, exposure really does work, especially in childhood. You need to have, you know, exposure to a variety of foods and you want to make sure you're doing that on a weekly basis, exposing them to what they haven't had before, even if they don't eat it. I know as a parent, when you put in all that effort to make something and then they just balk at it or they push it away, they don't even try it. It can be really, really disheartening, um, really demotivating. But even the fact that they looked at it, that's a win. If you, you know, any type of exposure is a win because the more exposures they have, the more likely they'll accept it in the future. And so we don't have these really picky adults that have this limited range and that are unwilling to try new foods because it's just not something they're used to. Got it. That's fabulous. I end every one of these with a productivity pointer or strategy. What's yours, Kieran? Mine would be meal planning. It's something I do with Mm. all of my clients, whether they have ADHD or not, but it's especially important for clients who have ADHD. We do know that, you know, our executive functioning and our decision-making skills, they drop as the day goes on. And we are much better at making decisions earlier in the day versus the end of the day. And what are we doing at the end of the day? We're eating dinner. (laughs) And so if your executive functioning and your decision-making skills are just zapped by the end of the day, what do you think you're going to choose for dinner? You're not going to choose a healthy option. You're not going to choose something that's balanced or something that's going to take time to prepare. And so meal planning is really a great way of making sure that you do make better decisions when it comes to dinner and meals for yourself and or your family. If you've already spent that, you know, one to two hours on your day off planning out your meals for the week, it's so much easier to stick with it. Cause think about how many people have that constant, you know, kind of nagging stress in the back of their mind. What am I going to have for dinner today? What's for dinner today? Imagine if every day, you know, for six days out of the week, you didn't have to think about that. It was on a sheet on your fridge or in a note on your phone or on a spreadsheet somewhere. And it was already known. Imagine just that little bit of stress and that one decision taken out of your day. And you're much more likely to choose something healthy then at the end of the day. Right. And the other thing I do now is I have certain nights that are designated as leftover nights because I know we're going to have leftovers and they don't get eaten. So some nights where I know it's going to be a little crazy or we're tired or yes. Or yesterday I opened the fridge and I said, we have a lot of food. And my daughter said, but I still really want pulled pork sandwiches. And I said, okay, so we're going to do, and by the way, they have pulled pork sandwiches with rolls. I just don't have one. I'm perfectly content without the roll. So we did that, but I said, okay, tomorrow night is leftover night because there's a lot of food in this fridge right now. And so I know I have no stress tonight whatsoever. And that's great on Monday because Mondays tends to be a really bit of a stressful day for work. How can people find you? So people can find me on Instagram at um, at Key2HealthNC. Uh, they okay. can also find me on Facebook. I have a Facebook group for parents who are raising, you know, plant-based children. You don't have to be completely vegan um, okay. or vegetarian. So it's for plant-based kids. It's called the Raising Healthy Plant Powered Kids Facebook group. I also have my website, www.key2healthnc.com. 
I love to do funny little reels over and informative reels and posts over on Instagram that are applicable to adults and children. And then my Facebook group is mostly just for raising healthy children. Love it. Thank you so much, Karen. This was wonderful. I really appreciate your coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our chat today. Does any of this sound like you? You're an overwhelmed professional. You just want to control your busy schedule. You're feeling stuck and unfocused. You can't seem to get all the things done on your to-do list. You're always late for meetings, also for those deadlines. You have a brain with 50 tabs open at any given time. And once again, you can't find the damn car keys. But you're ready for massive accountability and to take action on your goals. They've heard me talk on the podcast about my client results. And I want to let you know that for the first time, I'm opening my doors to the Exponentially Productive Group. So far, this group has only been available to my VIP one-to-one coaching clients. But that's about to change. Because I've discovered that a lot of people out there are looking for the kind of results that my clients are, and maybe they're just not ready for one-on-one coaching. So what's included in the Exponentially Productive Group? There are three productivity power hours each week. You heard me talk about those on the podcast. There is accountability through coaching app that I'm using. We have quarterly group planning sessions, a monthly open office hour, and a monthly coaching session with me. This month only, March, in honor of March Madness, this series that you're listening to now, I'm offering this program for only $127 a month. On April 1st, it will increase in price. You can find more details about the Exponentially Productive Group at productivitybydesign.wishpondpages.com backslash Exponentially Productive Group. The link will also be in the show notes. I would love to see you there. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. I'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Uncluttered Office Podcast, available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and www.productivitybydesign.com. I'm your host, Katherine Avery. If you like what you've heard, please share this episode with someone you think needs it. I would love for you to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews make my heart sing and can help even more people find the gifts in their productivity challenges. Thanks for listening and see you next week. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM. Women's voices amplified.